Hello again, and welcome. In this podcast, we discuss Out of the Bottom, the memoir of Londoner Graham Webb, an entrepreneur who overcame the challenges in spina bifida to become a hair industry icon. Join in our chat with Graham, and this is the Beats This is episode 10. Good day and welcome back to Out of the Bottle Podcast, a conversation with entrepreneur Graham Webb. Today's discussion concerns team building in a growing company. Graham, after you began performing international hair shows, it must have been critical to find good people to manage your flourishing chain of salons. Of course, as the business expanded from a a little salon chain to an international company, I realised that I needed to plug in to what I refer to as finders, minders and grinders. The finder would be the entrepreneur, sort of me, out there crashing through the jungle, you know, cutting down the trees. And the minder would be the financial director who's at the office all the time, you know, counting the beans and making sure the money is properly accounted for. And the grinder would be the salon operations guy or any operations guy who deals with all the staff and keeps all the plates spinning on the poles at, at, at all times. So in searching out finance overseers and operations managers, is your instinct to look around the industry and recruit from a competitor? Or perhaps it's to utilize a headhunting or placement firm? I've always tried to develop from within. I've instinctively always looked within the company whenever an opportunity has occurred um, to find my sort of finders, minders and grinders. Um, I've also always preferred to train from within, taking young people from high school or beauty school or college and to grow them within the company. I find that a much easier way of integrating people into the way that one likes to do business. Whenever we've taken outsiders in, then we've always encouraged them to retrain in the way we like to do things because I think any company owes it to their customers or their clients to have the name over the building and the people inside representing it rather than lots of odd bods that have sort of joined yesterday and suddenly they're working on one's own clients or customers. It certainly makes a lot of sense to fully indoctrinate new personnel before turning them loose on loyal customers. That way, ongoing training becomes a part of their job and is integral to the company's culture. Acquiring a good eye for new talent must be a tough skill to develop. One of the biggest lessons I've learned in business, or perhaps one of the biggest mistakes, um, was the whole subject of uh, investment in recruitment. I think when one is a small and medium enterprise, it's easy to uh, fit in your recruitment around all the other busy things you're doing. And during that time, I know I made some pretty bad mistakes. I'd see somebody quickly, think they looked okay and sounded okay, and suddenly they joined the company and discovered really that their aims and objectives or philosophies were different than mine and or the company. And then you've got that disastrous situation where if you're a sensitive person like me, you lay awake at night thinking, how am I going to sack them? And 
what effect is that going to have on them or their family? Uh, whereas really a bit more time invested in um, the recruitment with them uh, would have saved all that. And it seems when you find that perfect candidate and hire them into your team, you need to very carefully manage the development and growth and arc of their career. The trick is to have enough opportunities, to make enough opportunities, so that the aims and objectives of the personnel and the company are measured certainly every few months so that you know you don't end up with that situation um, that can cause one of you or both of you a problem. I often say the problem is not staff who leave and go as much as that always upset me. The problem is staff who leave but stay. And by that I mean they think it's convenient, the money's okay, you know, it's, uh, you know, I'm just going to hang here even though I don't like it. And, you know, that's the most dangerous thing. And you've got to watch out for that because one not-so-good apple in the barrel can affect all the rest. I remember one talented manager you mentioned in the book who went on the road with you. Yes, um, Jed joined me as, as an outsider, actually and was willing to retrain with me. And then I spotted that he had real management potential. And that's what eventually happened, and I described that in the book. That's the perfect segue to ask you to read a bit more from your memoir, Out of the Bottle. I spent a great deal of time fine-tuning our show presentations, turning what was fun into a profitable enterprise, all of which had started as a little personal dream of working in America. The show philosophy was to always perform an entertaining, professional-looking production. We kept adjusting and improving the music and outfits to make them as cool as possible. I remember buying a black Jean-Paul Gaultier jacket. It extended to my knees and it had huge padded shoulders. It cost me hundreds of pounds to buy this jacket and I felt absolutely ridiculous in it, especially when I topped off the ensemble with baggy trousers and a white shirt that had a comically long tail in the back. These were so far beyond the clothes I'd feel comfortable wearing at my salon. But for a hair show, all the stops were poured out. Anything in the name of fashion. I'd actually seen this latest designer outfit during a visit to the Paris fashion collections. We came up with some pretty ingenious choreography for the shows. My favourite was having the models come on arm-in-arm arm with the hairdresser. But you couldn't see anything of the models' heads because they were dressed in oversized hooded gowns with our Graham Webb logo to the front. The women looked more like boxers entering the ring than models. After they sat in the chairs on stage, the stylist would dramatically rip off the hoods which were attached to the rest of the gowns by Velcro. 
then I would individually introduce the team. There were many stalwarts in the international show team over the years. Lisa Pattenden, Jamie Tipple, Sarah Flack, Debbie Vaughan, Laura Hullett, Gerald Cairns, Anthony Fiore, Jeff Lewis, Irene Meikle, Francesca Rivetti, to name just a few. But one person who seemed to enjoy and excel in the show life more than anybody else was Jed Hamill. Jed had learned to cut hair elsewhere, and when he came to me from the London Robert Fielding Group, he'd never worked very long for any company and was primarily looking to open his own salon one day. He made it clear he was only looking to work for me as a stopgap, just a temporary job to earn some money before he launched his own business. Some electrical work had recently been completed in the salon, and apparently the workman had put in the wrong kind of wiring. It caused the fuse box to catch a light. The manager grabbed a water extinguisher, but fortunately Jed stopped her from drenching the salon. Even if it had put out the fire, it would have caused some other major damage, quite apart from the danger of mixing water and electricity. Jed put out the fire with the correct foam extinguisher. Then he arranged for the clients to be taken by cars to other Graham Webb salons in the group so they could still keep their hair appointment that afternoon. Jed then mopped up the foam himself and took all the towels in the salon to his own home to be washed by his wife, knowing Jed. By Monday morning, the electrical problem had been fixed. Jed returned with the clean towels and the salon was again open for business. Jed's performance under pressure and his initiative during this crisis didn't go unnoticed by me. I was looking to open another salon, this time in Royal Tunbridge Wells, so it made sense to offer Jed a partnership deal in the new salon. It would be similar to the deal that my former partner first had in Sevenoaks. Jed would own 49% of the salon and my company would own the rest. And I had a sense that he'd make it work. By the time I took him on tour to America, he was also a real favourite amongst show attendees. Jed's a funny guy from Liverpool, with a natural appetite for mischief and merrymaking. People like to be around Jed. On tour, the women found him as cute as Jed found them. He had become legendary, a party guy at these hair shows, a round-the-clock goodwill ambassador who got to know people one way or another. Typically, we'd arrive in town on Thursday night. Friday would be the day to interview the models. A model call. Saturday was prep day on the model's hair, and then the show performances would be on Sunday and Monday. It wasn't at all unusual to perform three or four two-hour presentations each day. Jed would be out, or in, most of the night frolicking, then come to the show ready to be talkative, amusing and steady with the scissors. During one show in Hershey, Pennsylvania, 
for the Shaneman Beauty Supply Company, who were always so supportive of my team, Jed woke up in the middle of the night and in a misguided effort to get to the toilet, opened a door that actually took him from his motel room outside into the parking lot. The door locked behind him, leaving Jed wearing nothing but his white underwear in a motel car park in the middle of winter. There was nothing for Jed to do but to walk in his underpants round the building to the reception at the front of the building and to try to explain. Events like this became part of the hair show banter, turning the stage into an area of teasing, both of the hair and verbal varieties. Jed made the enormous mistake of sharing this story with me and the rest of the team. And you can imagine that we recounted Jed's parking lot experiences during many future shows. Jed would hold a can of hair mousse in his hand, spray some of its contents into his other hand and say, what you need to do is to shake it. Then you put it in your hand and it gets bigger. Then he would naughtily wait for giggles from many of the women in the audience and pretend to be innocent of it all. Also notable for his sense of humour was Gerard Kearns, a good-natured Irishman who looks tough because of his shaved head. Gerard was in a hurry one day on tour and ran round a corner knocking to the floor a rocker with long red hair. Axel Rose from Guns N' Roses stood up and apologised. He might have acted differently to the imposing-looking Gerard had Axel known he was a lady's hairdresser. Gerard's Irish charm came across well in his on-stage banter. He described in his Irish lilting tones cutting an Irishman's hair and asking, Would you like me to cut more around the back? His client replied enigmatically, Thanks, I'm grand just staying here in the salon. We did whatever seemed to work. People loved us, and our reputation grew as a technically very competent and creative show team who gave great business advice and who were also fun, enthusiastic, and good salespeople. Whatever happened to Jed? Well, he settled down. Recently, he married Lisa Pattenden, who runs the Graham Webb Sevenoaks Salon, and has always been a crucial member of our team. Lisa has worked for my company for nearly 25 years. Jed is still with the Graham Webb UK Salon chain. That stopgap job he took never ended. He's a shareholder now and the company's excellent managing director. For more information about purchasing out of the bottle, visit gramweb.co.uk. Profits from the sale of out of the bottle go to benefit a variety of charities, including those seeking to find a cure for spina bifida.